Welcome, welcome everyone. All right, having some technical difficulties here with my little studio. Hopefully everyone can hear me. This is Kingdom of Context. I'm Sean. Thanks for joining me uh, tonight. We've got some fun announcements. And also, I just wanted to take a moment to um, uh, I, I answer questions all the time. We, we get questions in various forms. Sometimes people send them you know, through different social media. Sometimes they send them through our Patreon account. Sometimes they just send them through the literal P.O. box to send us in the mail. And as, as I've said many times in the past couple of years, if I can't get to every single question, I do apologize because I get more than I can physically answer. Because as you're going to see tonight with the type of questions I get, um, you know, if, if people that start to watch our channel, they realize that we, you know, we cover basic style questions pretty quickly. Um, so when people start to realize sometimes we give rather answers or we attempt to answer in-depth uh, questions well the in-depth questions start rolling in so there's um many times when you're doing apologetics the questions that you get are intended to stump you because they're questions that other people have heard they're questions that the average person cannot answer not because you know someone's you know, greater than anyone else or anything like that. But it's just, if sometimes you have to be good at breaking down the question as much as you do having the knowledge to answer the question, because the, the mind of a confused unbeliever will ask you a question that is filled with wrong definitions of words, wrong assumptions of ideas built into their question. And and sometimes with with plain you know shenanigans with trickery with uh, with dishonesty not all the time but sometimes when you're dealing with uh, very antagonistic uh, atheists you know they'll they'll asking a question that completely maligns you know the scriptures it has nothing to do with anything of the context of scripture it just is intended to make you look bad the whole thing is is worded in a specific way to try to make a believer look bad. So sometimes we get these really complicated questions that come in and we, you know, we do our best to answer them tonight. I'm going to answer one of them for you live. I was actually, I'd already answered this, uh, this young lady. She's one of our patrons on Patreon. Um, already answered her previously, but then it was still a mull in my head and I was like, Oh, I forgot this one thing. And then there's this other thing. And then I went and I looked something up and I was like, Oh man, I should, I, I forgot about that. I need, you know, I, I researched a little further and I realized that uh, there was more to the answer that I could give her because she was dealing with with uh, someone that was trying to actively sway people away from the faith. Um, and so I thought, man, this is turning into its own little lesson, like its own little uh, dig, dig into the scriptures on this topic. So why not just uh, do a video on it if I can? So guys, if you haven't already signed up for our Patreon, that's how you can support us. This is how we do uh, as much content as we, as we do at this point. Um, we're not quite to the point where, where I can go full time doing this, but help us get there. If you love what we do, if you want to see us do more of it, Patreon is an, is an easy way for us. It's, it's just a, there's, you know, any amount that you want to put into the little thing that you want to give every month, it just deducts automatically. It's a support for us, for what we do and all the content we put out. And um, and we try to get to as many of your questions as we can. Um, but as far as one of our levels of Patreon is our, uh, our fellowship level and our, our creativity level. But it basically like people will suggest videos to me all the time, right? Can you do a video on this or can you do a video on that? Well, that's, I only have my own little plan, if you will, of how I do videos and how I, um, I'm going to address certain topics over time. Believe it or not, I actually strategize what I do here. 
<laughs> because I know that if I build certain things upon each other, then I have a playlist that I can go back and I can share that easily. People can find it easily. They can learn one step at a time and, and not be confused, right? They can come to a conclusion rationally and understandably and have lots of scriptural references. That's my goal as a teacher. I try to, you know, be thorough and make sure I'm, I'm stacking the information properly so people can digest it and, and doesn't create even more confusion. So, um, a lot of people will ask me uh, through Patreon. They'll say, "Hey, can you, you know, can you do a video?" Sometimes I have done videos because of people's requests, and that's probably the more likely place. Um, whether you're, you know, doing personal support or through Patreon, that's probably the more likely place that I'm going to take those requests because those requests basically interrupt my normal flow of of scheduling, if you will. So, to, to make a whole separate video on a separate topic that you're that you're curious about, but I have done it from time to time. I'm going to be doing it tonight. So I want to thank you for joining me. Uh, we got quite a lot of people in the live chat already. Um, hi, Rose Bell. Good to see you. Matt Pollard, Trip2776, Andrea Coughlin, Jeff Walsh, Gerald, Gerald Nguyen, Gerald uh, Nowen. I'm sorry. No, I, I apologize, Gerald. I, I can't say your last name. I, you have to maybe phonetically spell it out for me in the chat and help me out. Uh, Elias is back. Welcome, brother. John French, Ricky, Carla, Carla Marburg, Ricky Brene. Uh, betwixt the waters, Shannon Mackey. Welcome, everybody. Quite a few people in the chat already. Thanks for joining me tonight. Jubion Kenobi's back. Arc Builder CCMC. Welcome, brothers. Um, Kathy Campbell. West Blaze Music is here. Guys, look, we're going to be doing a new show. West Blaze and I are going to be doing a new show on his channel. I know some of you saw the video I put up a couple days ago kind of announcing uh, that's going to be coming around April. Okay, that's what we're shooting for for our first episode. We're doing some pre-filming. We're we're getting our game plan together as far as what topics we're addressing, but it's going to be a biblical cosmology show, and we're excited. It's called Uncommon Ground, and that's going to be on Westblaze Music's channel. So you got to go over there and check that out. Okay, guys, that's um that is. Uh, let me actually put this on screen real quick. Give me one second. So I can. go actually i tell you what what if i just was able to play the the intro it's not loaded never mind i can't play the intro <laughs> all right hang on guys i'll just go play it for my channel so you guys can see the commercial real quick if, if you haven't gone to west plays channel go over there and uh, subscribe so you don't miss episode one coming in april of our new series biblical cosmology we're going to do music interviews guests uh talking to people on the street talking to people at churches talking to people at colleges at least that's my goal is to try to get interviews with certain professors and pastors um we'll be doing a breakdown of the scriptures that pertain to biblical cosmology as well as um science itself observable testable demonstrable concepts within science that help you understand how to venerate the scriptures and what they've been claiming this whole time so let me just go to this real quick I can put this up just in case there's a segment of you that haven't seen this. All right, we'll play the little commercial real quick for everybody. I graduated from learning lies to seek the truth. Indoctrinated to be too blind to see the proof. I once was lost, but now I'm found, so I shine light. And everywhere I go is darkness, so I shine bright.
Yeah, go subscribe, guys. That way you don't miss episode one. Hopefully, uh, we want to get we want to get um, by the by the end of May, of April. We hope to see his channel at three thousand subscribers. I mean, there's enough of us watching over here, and if you guys want to go see us do this show together over there, that's where we want to go have this show. Um, so it's it's going to be a lot of fun. We've been prepping for this, and this is something unlike anything I've ever done on my channel. But um, but we decided that we want to host it on his channel. We're going to help him grow a little bit. And let's go see. Let's go run up his subs if you can. Go subscribe tonight if you're watching this. Get ready for episode one. We launch that pretty soon. Um, it's going to be exciting. I'm excited about it. It's going to be fun. All right, guys. Um, also, what else? What else did I want to share with you guys tonight? Let me see here. Um, on Sunday nights, let me throw this screen share of. On Sunday nights, part 73, <laughs> not part 73, part 11, it's uh, episode 73 of Kingdom Cast. I'm going to be able to uh, to get back to uh, part 11. It's actually the second, it's the continuation of the practices of Babylon. We're going to be going um, further into the, the remaining three that I didn't touch on in part one or, you know, the first part of it, which is actually part of part 10 episode number 72. So join me for that um, on Sunday night. Set your reminders. Uh, we're going to be doing that. And then also on Monday nights, join us for a special presentation with uh, Micah Kissling. It's extra hair from my house ministries, where we're going to be reviewing their research and their conclusions on the 364 day calendar built mostly off Jubilees and Enoch. So at least that's to my understanding. If I'm, if I'm wrong, um, they're going to let me know because I actually haven't seen their full investigation as far as how they've been investigating the calendar over the last few years. So we get to do that. Um, join us for that guys. Saturday and Sunday nights, fun stuff. Make sure you hit the reminders, uh, cl click the thumbs up. That way you're notified as, as well for the reminders when it lets you know those days. So hopefully you guys will enjoy that. And tonight we're going to be reviewing and discussing, um, this very unique, very unique uh, question that was posed to me. One second, guys. Let me get, a, get this all set up. All right. Um, oh, sorry. This is the this is just the the page my Patreon page. If you guys have never been there, go check it out. Uh, choose what level of support you want to do. If you if you like what we're doing, it's how you keep us going. And um, we're actually going to be addressing a question that I got in from Patreon which is from Sarah. I'm not going to mention her last name, of course, but she says, hi, Sean, can you help me with the law in Deuteronomy 21, 15 through 17 and the seeming contradictions with Abraham's sons? My friend who used to be Torah observant is now trying to lead all of our friends astray by using this point. I've already tried to explain it from my understanding that God's promised Abraham and Sarah override their, their disobedience to have a child through Hagar. I also try to explain the priesthood is tied to the birthright, but where can I find this in scripture? Thank you so much. Well, Sarah, this is a great question. If you're watching tonight, um, as you as you know, I already answered you with uh, three bullet points. I'm going to touch on those three bullet points tonight, uh, as well as expound on some of those things with lots and lots of scripture. Uh, when I answered you a few days ago, I was actually um, juggling Lighthouse stuff and other, other videos and things. I just didn't have a lot of time. Um, so I wanted to... Yesterday, I decided there was some things I left out of the answer I needed to get back to you. And... Um, I forgot to correct something uh, within your 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 question about the priesthood connected to the birthright. It's actually connected to the blessing. I'm going to explain that tonight as well. Um, and so when I answered you back, I 
I use the word birthright and I, I should have used the word blessing. Um, so we're going to look at both Genesis and Jubilees. We're going to look at a whole bunch of different scriptures and we're going to review this, break down this question and with great depth tonight, because there's a lot to it that um, I think could really help us all better understand how the patriarchs before Moses's day were actively using the, the law of God, the instructions for living, his Torah, they were actively following it with great diligence. This is what Abraham is commended for in Genesis 26, 5. And that commendation that the father is, is speaking in that verse is actually to his son Isaac to tell him, hey, your father kept my commandments faithfully, you know, ordinances, judgments, and statutes faithfully. And I want you to as well. And so Isaac did, right? Same thing with Jacob. Jacob faithfully over and above Esau, Jacob faithfully kept the commandments of the father. And this is why at Mount Sinai and beyond in the, the books of Exodus through Deuteronomy, uh, there's so often that phrase used that this is the covenant that I made with your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, the terms of that covenant are the commandments. There is no other definition by which the word covenant in the scriptures comes about. It's the, the terms of the covenant, the only thing that makes it an enacted covenant is the idea that, that there are men who are willing and they raise their hand in Exodus 19. So everything you say will do, they willingly step into this agreement to say, all right, we're going to practice the father's behavior. And when we mess up, he's given us a priesthood. So that's good. I'm covered there. But then at the, after this life is over, he'll raise me to eternal life with brand new life and a brand new immortal body. And he'll put his law, which is the terms of the covenant. He'll put that law in my heart and I'll be able to live with him, with him in his house perpetually um, with the son and the angels and everybody there who also practice the terms of that covenant. It is, it is the, um, it is integral and, you know, foundational to the idea of the covenant are the actual commandments, the terms of the covenant. So when we read in Deuteronomy 21, 15 through 17, we're going to read about some instructions of the covenant and how a father should treat his children, especially upon um, leaving, you know, inheritance gifts, right? Things that he would leave, how he gets his wealth distributed after he dies. We're going to read about that because it's a part of the question. And, some people think that what we read in, in Deuteronomy 21, 15 through 17 is actually not what Abraham does. So let's dive deep, okay? So it says, if a man has two wives, this is this is the passage here, Deuteronomy 21, 15 through 17. If a man has two wives, the one loved and the other unloved, and the both and both the loved and the unloved have borne him sons, and the firstborn son belongs to the unloved, then it shall be on the day that he wills what he owns as an inheritance to his sons. He is not allowed to treat the sons of the beloved. Uh, excuse me, um, the son of the loved wife is the firstborn at the expense of the son of the unloved, who actually is the firstborn son. On the contrary, he shall acknowledge the firstborn, the son of the unloved wife, by giving him a double portion of everything that he owns, for he was the beginning of his strength. To him belongs the right of the firstborn. So there's a couple of points of context here. We're going to break this down as we go through this context, and then uh, we'll, we'll take any questions along the way, guys. Just be sure to put them in all capitalization. Um, if you're in the chat, make sure you put in all caps and, you know, that way I can easily see your questions as we go. And then after towards the end, if, if you guys have any other questions, we'll we'll take those as well. So real quick, there's a couple things we want to point out here. The caveat of context within this is that a man has two wives in this scenario. One's loved and the other one's unloved. And so that's the premise that that uh, this young lady's friend has come and said, hey, well, here's this. Here's this. Torah law and Abraham disobeyed it because he kicked away Hagar and Ishmael and he blessed Isaac and gave Isaac his inheritance. So let's look at, let's look at the scenario. It also is talking about the distribution of the inheritance to his sons and how there should not be favorable treatment 
that would leave the firstborn out because he claims that he has the right of the firstborn. And so there's something specific there that we're going to have to break down to look at this. Um, and as I do this, guys, I just want to share something, something that I've been working on. Uh, it's actually been something in my head for about three years. And you're going to see me reference some of these slides tonight because I want to get your opinion. Um, if you're watching this after the live broadcast, be sure to comment below. Because what I'm about to show you is this is actually how I study. Um, I actually have uh, put on paper <laughs> or on a, on a diagram how I actually study scripture. So a lot of people have asked me in the past, you know, like, hey, can you know, is there, is there any shortcuts? Is there any tips or whatever? Well, I said, well, that's why we created the context tree, which is our logo. And on our you know, channel intro, you can see all the little points of context, the thematic uh, themes that we go as become the branches of the context tree. And so that's that's in my head. That's the filter in my head as I read scripture and I'm placing pieces of scripture in one of those branches on the context tree. Well, um, I've created or I've I've I'm in process of creating something that is uh, on paper, a version of that in paper so that people can actually read a passage like Deuteronomy 21 and they can see which parts of it apply to which thematic idea in the context tree. And then also have some clues to how to find context to research some things on their own if it's just not clear to them, as well as at the bottom here, I got supplementary scriptures. So basically it is, it's like a color, uh, it's like a color-based idea for showing context. And as you see here on the left-hand side, uh, these are some of my branches on the, on the context tree, the eternal Torah and the covenants. And then those are, um, are, you know, highlighted in those appropriate colors according to different parts of the text in Deuteronomy 21. And then over here on the right hand, I have 10 easy ways to find context. This is actually from my video I posted uh, about six months ago, 10 easy ways to find context. Those are the 10 points that I then put little places inside the text um, because that is actually, if there's a, if there's a, you know, something I don't understand, or if there is a place in here that I need to research more, well, that's, these are the filters, the 10 different ways that I would go through and I would look and figure out how to, you know, how do, what do I look up? Do I look up the definition of word? Do I do I need to read all the way through, read the whole chapter? Do I determine figures of speech are being used here that I need to look up what the idiom is or a metaphor is being used here and look up where's the comparison? Or do I need to compare the use of this word in other chapters in this book or other books in the Bible? Um, all the different, uh, the 10 options you see on the right-hand side, 10 easy ways to find context. And then at the bottom here, I just, um, I include like, you know, three or four um, different passages that may link up to these points of context within this passage. And that way you get a well-rounded view of how these other books are treating this information, this topic that you're reading about. So this is something that I'm putting together, guys. If you guys, um, if you have any interest in something like this, drop it in the comments. Um, I know even if you're in the live chat right now, after this video is over, come back to the video, put put in the comments. Uh, if you're on Patreon already, send me an email or a message on Patreon. Uh, just drop in the comments saying that you do like this idea, that it would help you because I might, you know, if if I if enough people are interested, I can think about making an entire Bible like this because it it shouldn't take me too long. It may take me about a year, maybe less, but um, I already have you know quite a bit done because I do this every day, all the day anyway. So, um, but just let me know if that interests people. Drop in the comments if you are because that would. Um, but what we're looking at tonight is Deuteronomy 21. And the passage here is in verse 15. 
we just read this, right? And if you go look at the, the end of, uh, towards the end of verse 16, it talks about the, how he treats the son as the love of the wife of the firstborn. And then I have a little purple moment here. It says compare use in other books. So that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to look at the idea of what was appropriately allocated to the firstborn and why. That's very important. Um, and so we're actually going to be digging into some, some supplementary passages about that. So let's look here at Genesis 21, 9 through 13. And this is, says, Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, mocking Isaac. And therefore she said to Abraham, Drive out this slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. The, mattress, the matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son Ishmael. But God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed because of the boy and your slave woman. Whatever, guys, in case you don't know, that's the word servant, old school to KJV. Um, it's not what we think of modern day slavery. It was, it was a servant. She's actually his concubine and his wife at this point. So, but she was originally came to the family as a servant to the family. So um, he says, do not be distressed because of the boy and your slave woman, whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her for through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. And of the son of, of the servant woman, I will make a nation also because he is your descendant. This is Genesis, Genesis 21, nine through 13. So if we keep looking, let's, in this passage, guys, it says the matter distressed Abraham greatly. So he's not happy about this. Remember, Deuteronomy 21, verse 15 says, if there's a man who has two wives, Abraham has two wives. He's got Sarah and Hagar. And it says, and if one of those wives is loved and the other one is unloved. Well, first, right off the bat, that's not the scenario with Abraham. He loves both of them. And I'm going to show you that. It doesn't say directly in the text here, but we're going to go to a text that does say it. <laughs> Jubilee 17, 2 through 7. If you guys watch this channel for any length of time, you know that we've uh, tried to show people how Jubilees is a huge missing part of the American English Bibles. It's an ancient uh, text of the Hebrews that they had available to them. It's actually found amongst the Dead Sea Scrolls in Paleo-Hebrew and as well as other languages. And it was a huge point of resource of scripture for Hebrews uh, back in the day. So it says in Jubilee 17, 2 through 7, and Ishmael, the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, was before the face of Abraham, his father, in his place. And Abraham rejoiced and blessed God because he's seen his sons and had not died, died childless. Okay, so this is after Isaac is born. He's got Isaac's a baby and Ishmael's about 14 at this point. And it says, and Abraham remembered the words which he had spoken to him on the day on which Lot had parted from him. And that's which the, the Yahweh had spoken to him through the angels in Genesis 18. And he rejoiced because the Lord had given him seed upon the earth to inherit the earth. And he had blessed him with all his mouth, the creator of all things. And Sarah saw Ishmael playing and dancing and Abraham rejoicing with great joy. And she became jealous of Ishmael and said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son for the son of this bondwoman will not be heir with my son, Isaac. And the thing was grievous in Abraham's sight because of his maidservant and because of his son that he should drive them out. So guys, I want you to notice here, remember Genesis account just said he was grieved because of his son, because of Ishmael. Well, this is because of his maidservant and because of his son. So I don't, so my understanding with Abraham's um, interactions with his, his initial wife, Sarah, and then his concubine wife, which had been Hagar, he loved them both. This is a loving man. This is the result of Torah in your life. It's a, it's a heart of love. And so he loved them both. It wasn't one that he was, he didn't, you know, intend to favor one against the other. And in fact, he didn't even intend to marry Hagar initially. He never asked to marry Hagar. That was Sarah's request. We're going to read about that in just a minute. And God said to Abraham, let it not be grievous in your sight because of the child, because of the bondwoman and all that Sarah said to you, hearken to her words and do them for Isaac, 
for in Isaac shall your name and seed be called. We're also going to cover the seed idea tonight, guys. But as for the son of this bondwoman, I will make him a great nation because he is of your seed. Jubilee 17, 2 through 7. So I just want to point out here, we get a, we get some extra information here. Jubilee says it's not just because of, of Ishmael, but also because of Hagar that he was distressed. So he actually, he did not view her in an unloving way. He viewed her with care. So again, this is this is actually how I study scripture. Um, for anyone that's interested, it's a, it's a it's a contextual study guide of scripture, and I try to put it on paper for you just to show the covenants are involved here in verses two and three of Jubilee seventeen. The covenants are involved, and so you basically you can you can go in here and you can um, I, I look and I say okay, well, at what point did he part from him? You know, and so I go, okay, I need to compare the use of this idea in other chapters so I can go to Genesis and Jubilees and I can see, oh, there's the story of, of uh, um, Lot parting from Abraham and going to live down in the five plains of, of, of Sodom and Gomorrah area, or the, excuse me, around the five cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so that's, I, then I know, okay, it's a Genesis 18, 18 through 19 reference. And also I can see he rejoiced because the Lord gave him seed and there's my little purple indicator to show me that, okay, I can compare that with other books as far as how is this seed concept being spoken about. So you can you can see in both regards, both Genesis and Jubilees talk about this idea. And so in Jubilees 22, 12 through 13, uh, we see this idea of the seed being spoken about and expressed um, again and again and expounded upon, even to the point where it says, be strong in the presence. Let me put this a little, a little bigger. It says, be strong in the presence of men and exercise authority over all the seed of Seth. Then your ways and the ways of your sons will be justified so that they should become a holy nation. That's a set-apart nation that does Torah. That's the definition of that term. May the Most High God give you all the blessings wherewith he blessed me and wherewith he blessed Noah and Adam. Now it's taken this covenant and this idea of the seed all the way back to Adam. So we're going to find out what this seed is here in a few few minutes. May they rest on the sacred head of your seed from generation to generation forever. So therefore, now I know that this idea of the seed and passing it on goes all the way back to Adam. This is the promise that the angels of Yahweh brought to Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 17 and 18 to announce Isaac's going to be born. They come back when he's born. Then they announce that he's going to be your seed up on the earth. Well, before that happened, between Genesis 13 and Genesis 17, Sarah tried to take matters into her own hands. And this is where she decided to, to coax her husband, Abraham, to take Hagar, the servant, as a second wife and impregnate her. And that's where Ishmael came from. So now you got problems. <laughs> so for my calculations from Genesis 12 to approximately the, the moment of the covenant, Genesis 13, um, you have about 10 years where Abraham is about 75, 76. And then about 10 years later, Sarah's still not pregnant. So she, she reaches out and she, or she comes up with this idea. We'll take your maidservant, knock up Hagar. You'll have, we can fulfill this idea of the seed through Hagar. At least it'll be from your loins. So therefore, you know, we can make this a reality, but that was not what was promised to Abraham to the point where the angels come back and tell Sarah, you're going to have a child. Don't be fooled. You're going to have a child. And then they come back when she has the child, Isaac, you know? And so I think it's, it's very interesting that there was a problem that was caused because Abraham listened to his wife as, as we're going to read. So th this problem was caused not just because of Sarah's lack of faith, but also Abraham's. He listened to the voice of his wife when he should have, in my opinion, he should have said, no, we're going to keep believing in faith that the father's promise to us is going to happen through us, right? 
but they thought there was another way to do it. So, so here we have in um, Sarah's question, we already just in the first part of the question is not accurate. All right. Because not only did Abraham does not fall into the category of having two wives, one, which he loves and the other, one which he does not love. He had compassion and care for Hagar and he did not want to push her and Ishmael away. So Sarah's saying, I've already tried to explain it from my understanding that Yah's promise to Abraham and Sarah override their disobedience to have a child through Hagar. And Sarah is right in what she's trying to express to her friends to counteract this argument. She's right to say that it is Abraham and Sarah's disobedience. It was their lack of faith that they tried to make it happen through Hagar as opposed to just believing the father was going to make it happen through them. But let's see. This is what we see happening in the text in Genesis 16, 1 through 2. It says, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had not born him a child, but she had an Egyptian slave woman whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, See now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please have relations with my slave woman. Perhaps I will obtain a child through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. Well, that's not what, you know, that's not what was promised. So this is where they're, they're going outside of the intended seed. Again, why does this matter? The context of the seed matters because that was what was promised Abraham. And as we see in Jubilees, that seed goes all the way back to Adam. Well, there's a, there's a definition for that in scripture that we, we learned in the context of its use. I'm going to show you that tonight, guys. And this is one of the bigger distinguishments, if you will, in this, in this seem like Sarah says, seemingly confusing or contradictory scenario. We have um, in her question, she says, I also try to explain the priesthood is tied to the birthright. And technically, Sarah, that should be the blessing. I apologize for missing that. Um, and, and I meant to respond with blessing, but I, I typed birthright. I was moving too fast. I apologize. So she said, I tried to explain the priesthood is tied to the to the blessing is what I should say, because it is. And I'm going to show you that in just a minute. But where can we find this in scripture? Thank you so much. Well, we're going to go over the scriptures as well here in Jubilees 1530. This is where for Ishmael and his sons and his brothers and Esau, the Lord did not cause to approach him. And he chose them not because they are the children of Abraham because he knew them, but he chose Israel to be his people. Okay. So this is in Jubilees 15. Israel, of course, is Jacob. Jacob is the son of Isaac. So this is, and Israel is, is uh, the moniker that was given to Isaac's seed because Isaac was of the seed of promise. Again, I'm explaining this. I'm building up. Thanks for your patience. I'm building up to this idea of the seed. But as it clearly says here, Ishmael and his sons, his brothers, and Esau, they weren't chosen to approach him. What does that mean, guys? So this is where we look for a point of context. What does it mean to approach him, to approach Yahweh? Well, this is, again, this is how I study. So I go and I look at Jubilees 15, 25 through 30. I say the first verse, that's about the eternal Torah. I can compare that in other books. I look from 26 through 29. I say that's all about covenants. I can compare parts of that with other books to get a well-rounded definition. It's actually about the, the angels um, being circumcised according to the covenant on the, upon the day of their creation in heaven. And then I can look at verse 30, and this is going to actually apply to what we're reading in Sarah's question, which is the priesthoods. And I can see here in verse 30, for, it's it's all about the priesthoods because it it's specifically telling us who was not intended to approach Yahweh and who was intended to approach Yahweh and that is that greatly matters to this idea of the seed of promise and so in this I determined that to approach him is actually a figure of speech that's used in Scripture that's why it has the blue next to it and then I can also compare with other books where we see that in other books and lo and behold we see it in Exodus twenty eight so 
I don't know if you guys can see this or not, but on the left-hand side over here, I have the priesthood's um, context bubble that I put over here uh, to match up with the actual uh, scripture. And I just, I, I write in here like a, a quick explanation to explain why I, this is a part of the priesthood context within this. So I say the firstborn male was usually appointed as a priest to the creator, but other children were chosen occasionally for their heart's willingness to do the behavior of the creator. Okay, we're going to look at that as an example also within um, Esau and Jacob. So if I want to continue on here, this is the, the parallel where I'm going to find it in another book in Scripture where it talks about the idea of who gets to approach Yahweh. And that's in Exodus 28, 42 and 43. It says, You shall make for them linen undergarments to cover their bare flesh. They shall reach from the waist even to the thighs. And they shall be on Aaron and his sons when they enter the tent of meeting or when they approach the altar to minister in the holy place. So that they do not incur guilt and die. It shall be a statute forever to him and his to his descendants after him. This the idea of approaching Yahweh and who's chosen to do that was always about the priesthoods. It's about someone that's being chosen for the priest position. And that was a big deal. That's what the terminology, that figure of speech of approaching meant in Hebrew literature. So back to the question, okay? We've covered the idea that Abraham quite doesn't fit the scenario, so there's not really a contradiction, but there is some unique spots about Abraham's story that we're breaking down on why Isaac is the seed of promise that is supposed to get the priesthood. That's the one that's supposed to approach Yahweh. But because Sarah and Abraham have created another scenario they have to deal with, well, suddenly Yahweh is saying, yeah, it's 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 okay that, that uh, Sarah is requesting to continue to deal with this situation. They they were not, say it was not a good idea, in my opinion, to start the situation and offer the handmaid, Hagar, to have a child. And it's not a good idea, in my opinion, to get jealous and, and react and try to have her uh, be kicked out of the family as, to a degree. Um, and I'm going to show you guys something a little bit more about that. And I hope that everyone's still paying attention at this point. Um, there, a lot of people think that, you know, Hagar and Ishmael were just kicked to the curb and never, ever again did they interact with Abraham. And that is not true. I'm going to show you both in Genesis and Jubilees that Ishmael continued to have a seemingly good relationship with Abraham for the rest of his life, guys. And that's another 75 years, 76, technically 76 years after Ishmael's kicked out of the house with, with his mother. And he continues to have a relationship with, with uh, Abraham, even to the point I'm going to show you later, even to the point of celebrating a feast day with him, celebrating Shavuot with him. And that's amazing. <laughs> that's that's love. That's fellowship. And, he, and we're going to talk about the inheritances here in just a second. So this is, we're, we're kind of really digging into the question here. And I just want to, you know, hopefully uh, bring up a strong indication here that Abraham does not fall into this specific context of this of this instruction in Deuteronomy 21 but let's let's actually look at the inheritance part because that's going to matter as Ishmael does have a relationship even to the point of being with Abraham the day he dies so let's jump in here I just want to go over some basic concepts that just as a quick review midway through here that the priesthood equals the blessing this is why it was such a big deal to get the blessing it's the seed of promise was supposed to be the one who gets that blessing because he's the one whose heart has exemplified a willingness and a, and a steadfastness to do the behavior of Yahweh, which are the terms of the covenant 
And this, these are the men who would be chosen for the priesthood position because that means they're more likely to be less corrupt. They're more likely to be more faithful. They're more likely to, to, to not turn from the covenant. They're more likely to do the covenant faithfully because they've already shown a propensity because of that's what they desire, right? So this is like this is literally the promise of the covenant that we all experience where right now we practice the behavior of Yahweh and he says at the new covenant, at the resurrection, in our new bodies, he's going to put that law in our heart permanently. We're going to get to fulfill perfectly what we're practicing and sometimes failing now. It's the reward of the covenant. We practice what we want to do perfectly, and he's going to enable us to do it perfectly at the resurrection. So that's why the priesthood would be chosen for men whom exemplified what's called a circumcised heart. Okay. Jubilees 19, 16 through 19. And Abraham saw the deeds of Esau, and he knew that in Jacob should his name and seed be called. The deeds of Esau matters. Esau was, was not showing that he wanted the blessing to, to become part of the priesthood. Abraham and Isaac were part of a priesthood. I've talked about this in other videos, and um, I've, I've even tried to share with people that the whole purpose of the genealogies in Genesis 5 and Genesis 11 is to show us a session of priesthoods and how they're being passed on, which is why it culminates at the end of Genesis 11 with Abraham, because he was a priest. He was faithful to minister that priesthood over his family, and he did so. Same thing with passing that to Isaac, and now Isaac has two kids, so he's got to choose. Just like Abraham had two kids, he had to choose. Well, he, the angels showed up and told him which one he was supposed to choose. So therefore, now he has a, a extra part of the scenario he's got to deal with with Ishmael because he's not the one that was chosen from heaven. He was never intended. I mean, don't get me wrong. They, he, father knew he was going to be born, but he was not intended to get the priesthood. So now he's having to deal with him like another son, but not the son that would get the priesthood and specifically not the one for the claim of the birthright as well. So this is usually the firstborn would get the birthright. And if, if it was a priestly family, they would show propensity for the law. They would get the priesthood too. We see that in some occasions, but not in all. It depends on their heart. And this is a, this is not an, uh, it's not a cut and dry situation with Abraham, Ishmael and Isaac. It, there's, there's a little stickiness there, right? Because Ishmael's the firstborn. He should get the birthright, which means the eldership. I'm going to review that in just a minute. He also should get the priesthood, but that's not what was appointed for him. That was Abraham and Sarah injecting an extra person in the scenario that was not a part of the scenario that God told him would happen. Suppose, I mean, you know, God knew that, he, that Ishmael would be born. Um, I'm, we're going to go over what happens to Ishmael, but I'm just saying this, you know, this is why they had to deal with him like they did, because the angel said, no, 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 it's through Isaac that this seed the promise of the blessing of the priesthood is going to be passed. So this is a big deal. So when Abraham, he's still alive, and he's noticing in this passage in Jubilees 19 that his grandson Esau, his deeds are not are not the deeds of Jacob. So, you know, Abraham at this point in his life has grandsons through Isaac. He also has got a lot more grandsons through Ishmael. We're going to go over that in just a minute. But his grandsons through Isaac as Esau and Jacob, and he's looking and saying, he saw the deeds of Esau, but in, he knew that in Jacob should his name and his seed be called. And he called Rebekah and gave commandment regarding Jacob, for he knew that she too loved Jacob more than Esau. And he said to her, my daughter, watch over my son Jacob, for he shall be in my stead on the earth. 
and for a blessing in the midst of the children of men for the glory of the whole seed of Shem. So now we're getting a little understanding here of what I've been trying to you know, express for more than a year and a half in this channel about this passing on of the priesthood in Genesis. And Jubilees makes it very clear. Genesis is pretty vague. You got to you got to do some inductive reasoning with Genesis, but Jubilees makes it super clear. So this is why Shem is is such a big deal, because remember, you know, no Shem was off the boat. He was uh, the priest that took over from Noah. And then he was alive for 500 years after the flood. So they would have had lots of interaction and encountering all the patriarchs between Shem and, and Abraham, knowing that he, this guy was, you know, a righteous man who was a part of this anointed priesthood that was, that was important. And so he says, for I know that the Lord will choose him to be a people for, to be a people for possession unto himself. Well, that's, that applies to a priesthood guys. Above all peoples that are upon the face of the earth, and behold, Isaac, my son, loves Esau more than Jacob, but I see that you truly love Jacob. So this is why when he says he's going to be on my stead on the earth, talking about Jacob, well, don't get me wrong, Isaac is in this mix too. But at this point, Abraham's still alive. Isaac hasn't truly got it passed on to him yet, because Abraham's still alive. So Abraham's still the elder in this point. So this is, Abraham's going to die soon here in, in Jubilees 22, and then Isaac, who had the priesthood for a while until he passes, and then Jacob would pick it up after that. But he's just seeing down the road. So, again, this is this is just a little example of how I would go through Jubilees 19, 12 through 25, and I would try to show people, again, if you're watching this point in the video, if you, now that you've seen, I think I've used, I've shown you uh, these, you know, these little study guide things that I use um, a few times now. So, if you think that I should make something like this for, you know, the whole Bible, I can do that. Uh, just let me know. I just need to know if people will be interested in it. So put it in the comments if it's something that you would like to see, if that you would like to have one. Um, just put it in the comments if you're interested, both, uh, you know, in the, in the video that you're watching after this or, you know, on our socials or in our Patreon or wherever you communicate with me, put it in the comments that, yes, this is worth me venturing and going and, you know, creating an entire Bible that's color-coded like this to show you different points of thematic context, as well as which verses line up. Um, and then of course, ways to find context within these, within these passages. So um, in, in Jubilees 19, 12 through 24, it's all about the priesthood, as you can see on screen here, all about the priesthood. And that's where I try to put the top left. It may be hard to see on, on StreamYard right now, but I try to put in the top left that, um, the term seed is used of men. This is under the priesthood bubble to explain why this purple passage is highlighted as the priesthood. The term seed is used of men of faith who are appointed to be the priesthood and are taught writings. That's what we see here in verse 13. It says, And Jacob was a smooth and upright man. Esau was fierce, a man of the field, and hairy. Jacob dwelt in tents, and the youth grew, and Jacob learned to write. But Esau did not learn, for he was a man of the field. So you're going to see this also in, I think it's Jubilees chapter 8. Um, and also chapter 12, that it talks about those who are learning writings. And that's that's the indicator that they're being prepared for the priesthood. Um, and of course, down below in verse 25, you've got uh, two different unique concepts because you've got the creation and the new Jerusalem in the same verse as a point of context. Because the new Jerusalem is coming down through the creation itself, as Matthew 24, 29 says. But let's look at the purple real quick for a little bit, guys. Let's look at the idea here of what 
what is this idea of the seed and how is it connected directly to the priesthood? We already went over Jubilees 1530, but this is going to give us even more in-depth breakdown. It says in verse 12, in the sixth week, in the second year thereof, Rebekah bare to Isaac two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob was smooth and upright man. Esau was fierce, a man of the field and hairy. And Jacob dwelt in tents. And the youths grew, and Jacob learned to write, but Esau did not learn. For he was a man of the field and a hunter, and he learned war. And all his deeds were fierce. And Abraham loved Jacob, but Isaac loved Esau. So we're seeing a difference between grandfather Abraham and his son Isaac and how the two grandsons are viewed. Abraham loves Jacob. He's a man who's training for the priesthood. And Isaac, he's actually favoring Esau, the strong one, the mighty warrior, the hunter. So there's a there's a difference here. So this is why in verse 16, it says Abraham pulls Rebekah aside to say, watch over, watch over Jacob. Make sure he gets the seed. He's the seed. He's the one that my stead will pass on to my seed. My priesthood position is going to pass down from Isaac to Jacob, not to Esau. So in verse 16, it says, Abraham saw the deeds of Esau. He knew that in Jacob should his name and see be called. And he called Rebekah and gave commandment regarding Jacob, for he knew that she too loved Jacob more than Esau. And he said unto her, my daughter, watch over my son Jacob, for he shall be in my stead on the earth and for a blessing in the midst of the children of men and for the glory of the whole seed of Shem. For I know that the Lord will choose him to be a people for possession unto himself above all the peoples that are upon the face of the earth. And behold, Isaac, my son, loves Esau more than Jacob. But I see that you truly love Jacob and still further to your kindness to him and let your eyes be upon him in love for he shall be a blessing unto us on the earth from henceforth unto all generations of the earth let your hands be strong let your heart rejoice in your son jacob for i have loved him far beyond all my sons i'm going to go over how many sons he actually has and grandsons here in just a little bit he shall be blessed forever and his seed shall fill the whole earth if a man can number the sand of the earth his seed also shall be numbered and all the blessings wherewith the lord has blessed me and my seed shall belong to jacob and his seed always and in his seed shall my name be blessed and that word is that that word name, not just the word Abraham, but that word name where he says in his seed, in the seed of Jacob, shall my name be blessed. That's the word authority. I've said this so many times in a lot of videos. So what in verse 24, what Abraham's saying is in Jacob, in Jacob's priesthood, shall my authority, the, the, the authority of the priesthood that Abraham is currently sitting in. He says in Jacob's priesthood, shall my authority be blessed and the authority of my father's. Shem, Noah, Enoch, Mahalalel, Enos, Seth, and Adam. This authority stretched all the way back to Adam. It's being passed on through the priesthood. So when we see the idea of the birthright usually goes to the elder of the family or the leader of the family, but it's not always chosen for the blessing of the priesthood. Many of you might be asking, wait a minute, but I thought you just said that the priesthood got the authority as well. Most of the times, again, it really depends on the situation. Most of the time it did. But remember, the sons of Jacob, he had 12 sons, right? Reuben, he did some stuff. He didn't get the eldership. Judah got the position of rulership over, over the other brothers. But Levi got the priesthood. So third-born Levi gets the priesthood. Fourth-born Judah gets the rulership. Very interesting. Which would be more of an eldership, a leadership, a birthright idea. See what I'm saying? So that so that the terms I'm trying to give some context, understanding how the the terms should, you know, in a in a general sense, how the terms are used. But then in specific scenarios, we see that according to people's behaviors, those terms are divided up. Depends on what's happening. So let's look at Jubilees 24, two through seven, and it says, "In the first year of the fourth week, a famine began in the land." 
besides the first famine, which had been in the days of Abraham. And Jacob sawed lentil pottage, excuse me, pottage. And Esau came from the field hungry. And he said to his Jacob, his brother, give me, a, give me this red pottage. And Jacob said to him, sell to me your birthright, and I'll give you this bread, and also some of this lentil pottage. And Esau said in his heart, I shall die. Of what profit to me is this birthright? And he said to Jacob, I give it to you. And Jacob said, swear to me this day. And he swore to him. And Jacob, his and Jacob gave his brother Esau bread and pottage, and he ate till he was satisfied. And Esau despised his birthright for this reason. Was Esau's name called Edom on account of the red pottage which Jacob gave him for his birthright. And Jacob became the elder, and Esau was brought down from his dignity. So here we see the eldership is given from Esau to his younger brother Jacob over this transaction. Now, you know, it says that he despises his birthright, right? He thinks he's going to die because there's famine in the land. I know the Genesis accountant just makes you think he's just hungry coming in from the field. He was hungry coming in from the field, but that's backed up by the bigger context of there's actually famine in the land. Esau's not moving in faith in this moment. He's not having faith that the father will take care of them because they're keeping the terms of the covenant. But he's thinking, all right, well, there's famine. I'm going to die anyway. What, what gives my birthright? What gives my eldership? And so the younger becomes the elder. This is what we see happening. So in this moment here, we see that the birthright, which should have went to Esau, actually goes to the one that's already been designated because of his good behavior to be a part of the priesthood. So in this moment, Jacob now is going to be both elder and priest in this family. And this is what's being set up for him. This is why we're, you see the, the shenanigans later with, with uh, Rebecca encouraging Jacob to put on, on the, uh, the hairy outer garment to make him feel like Esau in front of a uh, blind Isaac because he's going to get that blessing. He's going to get that blessing of the priesthood passed on to him because that's what he was supposed to do anyway. But Abraham knew that Isaac was showing favoritism and not evaluating the situation properly. He was going to give the blessing to the man whose heart was not circumcised to Yahweh. And that would have been a mistake, right? So the, everything, the circumstances and the life of Jacob is lining up to put him in a position of eldership to get the birthright as well as the position of the priesthood, which is going to be a big deal when it comes to giving out the inheritances to the family. So, and that's what I have on here on the right. The inheritance was, you know, the giving of the family possessions to the children of the servants. And in Abraham's case, he over and abundantly goes through the, in, the instructions of Torah <laughs> more than Torah even says. He does more than it's even listed in Jeremiah 21 to ensure that um, the one who has the, the birthright is going to actually get a double portion and the other children are not left without it either. So what, we're going to go over that real quick. Jubilee chapter 20, one through three. It says, in the 42nd Jubilee, in the first year of the seventh week, Abraham called Ishmael and his 12 sons and Isaac and his two sons and the six sons of Keturah and their sons. Guys, let's do some math here. Abraham called Ishmael and his 12 sons. So Abraham is still having a, a, a it's still in communication with Ishmael. And by the time that Ishmael has 12 sons, so that's 13 people. And then he called Isaac and his two sons. That's Esau and Jacob. Well, that's 15 people. And then the six sons of Keturah, his second wife, after Sarah died. Well, that's, well, that's a lot more, right? What's what? Uh, 21 and their sons. It just doesn't say how many of Keturah's sons, his, his grandsons through <clears throat> that his sons with Keturah. It doesn't say how many of there are, but 
you know, if, if each one had one or two, I mean, you're, you're looking at 28 people there. And he says, and he commanded them that they should observe the way of the Lord, that they should work righteousness and love each other as neighbor and act on this manner amongst all men. Amongst all men, I'm going to kind of pause right here, guys. Abraham is telling his children and his grandchildren, a whole bunch, 25 plus people sitting in front of him, men sitting in front of him. Observe the way of the Lord, guys. Walk in righteousness. Do what's right. Do the behavior of the, the, the terms of the covenant. Do this. So, you know, the, the question from Sarah through Patreon, she's asking, you know, she's getting these, these arguments against Abraham not keeping the Torah. Well, we have in Jubilees 20, verse 1 through 3 here. He literally is calling a family gathering, a little family reunion with his sons and all his grandsons and tell them to keep the Torah. That they should all walk so with regard to them as to do judgment and righteousness on the earth, and that they should circumcise their sons according to the covenant, just like we read back in, in Jubilees 15. That they should circumcise their sons according to the covenant which he had made with them, and do not deviate to the right hand or the left of all the paths which the Lord has commanded us, that we should keep ourselves from all fornication and cleanness, and renounce from amongst us all fornication and cleanness. He's teaching Torah because he does Torah. He has a heart for Torah. Jubilees chapter 20, if we go, I'm kind of skipping through this chapter a little bit because it's a big chapter and um, we're already here at 53, 53 minutes. So I just, this is going to be verses five, seven, then also 10 through 11. He's continuing to talk to all his sons and grandsons. And uh, he's doing this by the way, because he's about to die. He says, he told them of the judgment of the giants and the judgment of the sodomites, how they had been judged on account of their wickedness and had died on account of their fornication and uncleanness and mutual corruption through fornication. And then he says in verse 7, I implore you, my sons, love the God of heaven and cleave to all his commandments and walk not after their idols and after their uncleanness. And then in verse 10 and 11, he says, and you will be for a blessing on the earth and all the nations of the earth will desire you and bless your sons in my name, that they may be blessed as I am. In Abraham's name? Is that all they want? Is just to be in Abraham's name? What is this terms of the covenant? What does the covenant promise you that you will have what? That you'll be resurrected to eternal life. The Father makes that happen through the priesthood appointment of Yeshua in the name and the authority of the priesthood of Yeshua in the name of Yeshua. So that's why you see this terminology here with Abraham talking about this, saying that if you do these things, you cleave to all the commandments and love God. What's the That's the covenant he's telling him to abide in. What's the promise of the covenant? You're resurrected to eternal life into a priesthood, into a priesthood. This is what we see in, in Exodus 19, verse 4 and 5, at the base of Mount Sinai. All the Israelites, I've set you as a part of the holy nation to make you a royal priesthood. This is what we see in Revelation 20, verse 4 through 6, right? Blessed are those who take part in the first resurrection because they will rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years because that's what priests do, right? They become a part of his priesthood. So this is this is being told from Abraham, not just to Isaac, but also to Ishmael and all his sons, and also his other sons, Tukator, and all their grandsons, ever, the whole lot, all of his kids. It's a beautiful moment. And he's telling them all the terms of the covenant. He's not differentiating. He's saying, yes, Israel, you know, through Isaac, Israel is going to be a special priesthood, but that's on the earth. But the blessing. The blessing of the covenant that they can all partake in happens at the resurrection. It's a beautiful promise of the covenant. And that, that happens for everyone that's grafted into 
the family of Israel, not just the specific bloodline of Jacob. I hope that makes sense. And I'm going to go over that in just a minute because Paul breaks that down in, in Romans 9 as well. So he says, and he gave to Ishmael and to his sons and to the sons of Keturah gifts and sent them away from his son, from Isaac, his son. And he gave everything to Isaac, his son. Okay. First of all, he didn't give, I know the wording sounds weird because it, it says everything, but if he just gave some things to all these other 27 people, then he didn't give everything to Isaac. I, I, I'm just, I, I would question some of the translation here with the original text from the Greek. Um, I just don't have access to look it up right now, but but, but you can see from the, clearly from this sentence in verse 10 and 11, like he gave to Ishmael and to his sons, that's the six son, the 12 sons of Ishmael. So it's 13 people plus the sons of Keturah. That's another six people gifts. And remember, Keturah's sons have an unknown amount of sons with him. That's grandsons. So he gave them all gifts. And then he sent them away from Isaac, his son, meaning he, he now he turns to Isaac alone and he gives that double portion that the birthright is supposed to get in, in Deuteronomy 25, which in my understanding would be why they would say he gave everything to Isaac, everything that he had left, which I'm sure he set aside was a double portion compared to everything, everybody else he gives to his, to Isaac, his son. So no, the wording is not word for word is Deuteronomy 21, but the full context shows you he had a relationship with Ishmael and the sons of Keturah and all their grandchildren. And he gave them all bequeathments of his inheritance before he dies. And then what's remaining, what I would say would be the double portion, which is why it says he gives everything to Isaac, his son, because he was the one that was that was in the place of the um, of the elder, as as also gets the priesthood of the blessing and the birthright. So therefore, he gets the double portion. It's a big deal. <laughs> it's a, it's kind of a big deal. But the point is, Ishmael's not left out. He still gets a part of the possessions of the family of of uh, Abraham. We just don't know exactly how much. It just says he got gifts, but so did a whole bunch of other people. Nobody's left out. Abraham was an extremely wealthy man. The book of Jubilees actually says that he had the wealth of kings. That's a pretty interesting statement. Matthew 10, 22. Oh, thank you. Um, okay. Wow. We got a super chat or a super sticker. I don't know. I don't know what country that's from. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, Zara, I'm not sure what what type of money that is, but um, you're welcome to put it in the chat. Appreciate that. That's really awesome, brother. Yeah, thanks, Scott. I'm just doing my best. It's it's kind of a like I said, it's not a black and white uh, con, but we're gonna keep going through some of this stuff. Yeah, Carl, exactly. Um, he tells him don't. Don't deviate to the right or to the left of all the paths that, that Yahweh's got you on because he knows, you know, there's temptation out there. He knows that they were living in Canaan at this time. So all around them are the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Pezites, the Hizzites, all the people practicing, you know, um, pagan occult ways. So there's a lot going on there. All right. So here in Matthew 10, 22, uh, this is remember what we just read here about the name that Abraham is talking about. Look at this language that Abraham is talking. He sounds just like Yeshua. Why? Because this is the way a priest would talk. He says, and you'll be blessed on the earth. All the nations of the earth will desire you. Well, a righteous priest, other people desire them. They want to come to them for knowledge of the Torah, like Malachi 2, 4 through 8 talks about, because they're the mouthpiece of the Father. They're supposed to teach the people the Torah, and they come to them for righteous judgment. 
So yeah, that's people desire an audience with a righteous priest because you know he's 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 got a good heart, he's full of love, and he actually can express the ways of the Father and even decide disputes among it. And he says, "And bless your sons in my name, and the authority of the priesthood given to Abraham, that they may be blessed as I am." That's beautiful. And give to Ishmael. He sent him away. But this is what he's saying. He's saying in my name. And this is what we see Yeshua talking about. His disciples will be hated because of the name that Yeshua's promised. Before Yeshua showed up on the scene through the womb of Mary, he was promised to become a high priest. He was promised to become into the priesthood of Melchizedek to minister before the fathers. Psalm uh, 110, 1-4. So that, for most people, especially for the disciples, they would have known that Yeshua is going to be stepping into this priesthood role at some point. But how is this going to happen? Because he's not of the family of Levi. Well, he's not promised to be in the Levitical priesthood, which is of that descendancy. He was promised to be in a priesthood that would, you didn't have to be a child of Levi. You could have been anybody with a faithful heart, the Melchizedek priesthood, which would have been the type of priesthood that Abraham was in. So this is why I say Matthew 10, 22, Yeshua warns his disciples, you'll be hated by everyone because of my name, my authority and my priesthood. Why? Because the priesthood judges. This is what Jesus has given. All judgments given to the Son. John 5, I think it's verse 38. No one wants the, the enemy doesn't want to be judged. They don't want to have to stand before Yeshua. So, of course, they're going to hate Yeshua and his disciples. Anyone that's practicing his behavior, anyone that supports Yeshua, they're going to hate him because they know that they're supporting the judge that's going to judge them and condemn them to eternal death because their deeds are wicked. Right? Was it John 3, uh, 16 or 17 that... Um, the light came into the world, but the world, you know, didn't didn't accept the light because their their weeds were their deeds were dark and full of wickedness. So Hebrews 3 6, we have the same same idea that Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house. What is God's house? It's his tabernacle, it's his temple. He is the faithful high priest that's been the son of God, who's also taken this highest priest role, right? So he has the birthright and the blessing, and he's going to be put over God's house as the high priest of the of Melchizedek um order. Revelation 22, 1-4 says, He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and the Lamb. And guys, I tell you what, until a couple weeks ago, we did the Torah portion, and I found in Ezekiel 43 in the Septuagint, the two mercy seats, little verses like this never stuck out to me until then. To where I knew that the Father and the Son were in the New Jerusalem, but specifically where it talks about the throne of God and of the Lamb, well, that would be perfectly fitting if there's two mercy seats, just like Ezekiel 43 said. It's just amazing. So it's in the midst of the street of it. This is inside the New Jerusalem. On either side of the river, there was a tree of life, which bare 12 manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. So this means there's an interaction with the interior of the New Jerusalem, with the exterior, the people that live amongst the nations outside the city who still need healing. Because everyone inside the city has been given glorified immortal bodies, which won't need healing. So it says, and there shall be no more curse before the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it. Excuse me, but the throne of the God and of the Lamb shall be in it. That's inside the city. And his servants shall serve him. That's his priesthood. That's what Exodus 28, 1. It's the, the ministers who serve before Yahweh. They approach him. That's the priesthood. It's beautiful. And it says, they shall see his face and his name shall be in their foreheads. His authority shall be in their foreheads. And, and I personally believe... It's not, he's not going to literally tattoo, you know, Yahweh or Yeshua or anything like that on our forehead. It's the actual crown plate that you put on the actual turban of the priesthood, just like Aaron had. 
I believe that's what it means about his, because remember it had a uh, holy to the Lord, uh, to Yahweh on Aaron's crown on his priesthood plate. So I think that's, what's going to be on all the, those are the resurrected men of the, of the first resurrection that step into this priesthood with Yeshua. That way we have his authority, his name on our priesthood, which is literally our crown will be up on our, our, our head covering as a part of our priesthood. When we step out to do, you know, to interact with the nations living outside the city and we have to do any form of judgment or priestly duties before them to receive the sacrifices they're bringing for first fruits or for Sukkot or for, you know, Passover or whatever. So that's that's where we're getting this idea that Abraham is telling all his grandsons, be blessed in my name, that you'll have this, you know, that this is why he can speak like that, because this is how Yeshua speaks, because it's how a priest speaks. This is the, the figures of speech associated with the priesthood. Genesis 25, 7 through 9. These are the years of Abraham's life that he lived, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and satisfied with life, and he was gathered to his people. And then his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, which facing Mamre. So I just another further you know reiteration. We just read about even though Hagar and Ishmael were we're not allowed to live with Sarah and Abraham anymore. Abraham did not abandon Ishmael. He still had a relationship with him. He's still showing up to keep feasts with him. He's still interacting with him. He's still literally getting inheritance gifted to him. And now he's there at his death with Isaac to bury him, to show honor to him. So this is not, you know, like I said, sometimes Genesis is a little vague. Jubilees is very specific. But in this moment, at least we see in Genesis 25 that Ishmael's in, involved. He's, in, he's a part of this. He loved Abraham. Abraham loved him. There was special circumstances with Isaac to get the birthright, to get the blessing and the priesthood, because that was the promised seed that was coming through from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. And that was, it was very important. Jubilees 22, one through four. And it came to pass in the first week in the 44th Jubilee in the second year, that is the year in which Abraham died, that Isaac and Ishmael came from the well of oath to celebrate the feast of weeks. That is the feast of the first fruits of the harvest to Abraham, their father. And Abraham rejoiced because his two sons had come. <laughs> it's, I, I don't know why that just makes me laugh. It's, it's so, so interesting. For Isaac had many possessions in Beersheba, and Isaac was wont to go and see his possessions and to return to his father. And in those days, Ishmael came to see his father, and they both came together. And Isaac offered a sacrifice for a burnt offering and presented it on the altar of his father, which he had made in Hebron. And he offered a thank offering and made a feast of joy before Ishmael, his brother. Guys, Abraham is dying within 24 hours of this. Isaac is taking over the priesthood and he's literally offering a sacrifice on the altar of his father. You guys see how that works? Now, in my understanding, Isaac's already been groomed for the priesthood. He's actually already a priest over his family, but he still is in reverence to the elder, his father, Abraham, who hasn't quite died yet. But I think it's the day he's dying. He's doing a first fruit celebration on the altar of Abraham or an altar that Abraham had made, which I think is fascinating. And they're having a feast of joy with Ishmael, his brother. And Rebekah made new cakes from the new grain and gave them to Jacob, her son, to take them to Abraham, his father, for the first fruits thereof, and he might eat and bless the creator of all things before he died. That's before Abraham died. So this is just a beautiful moment, just trying to reiterate the idea that Hagar was not unloved. Ishmael was not unloved. There was a, a, a battle within Sarah in order for her to, you know, she was barren for a long time in her life um, to the point where she was 99 years old, 
right? And that will play with a woman's mind. That will play with a man's mind. Abraham consented to Sarah's plan, right? So they had a moment of lacking in faith. They brought this Ishmael guy into the scenario, but he was not mistreated. Hagar was not mistreated. Ishmael was was still in relationship with with um, uh, with Abraham to the point of even receiving inheritances from him. So here is a little short breakdown of all the possessions of Abraham given to all of his children. And Isaac and his two sons got some stuff. Ishmael and his 12 sons got stuff. Six sons of Ketur plus their sons got stuff. He was a righteous man, guys. He gave out of his possessions. He divided them up according to the birthright first. That's the one that gets the double portion of everything that he owns. And then everybody else would get stuff as well. They just don't get as much as the one who has the birthright. In the, in the unique scenario of, of the story of Isaac, Isaac retained the birthright. Abraham 100% keeps Torah and gives to Isaac appropriately according to the covenant and then gives to everybody else appropriately according to the covenant. And the father blessed him so much that he had enough to give to all those children and grandchildren, which is amazing. That is amazing. I wish I could I wish I could mimic Jesse Lee Peterson. That's amazing. It's it's beautiful, guys. Abraham was a righteous man, completely righteous. So thank you guys for uh you know again. That's that was one of the questions that um came in through Patreon. If you guys haven't already visited our Patreon, you're welcome to go check it out. If you want to support us, you want to help us get to a point where we can do this full time. Um, that's one of the ways that it's going to happen. Uh, everyone that has already supported us through Patreon and also through PayPal or just writing us personal letters and, and send support through PO box. We love you. We appreciate you. Um, it, it's, it's been a huge blessing to us to allow us to create the type of content we have at the frequency we have so far. Um, uh, but we would like to get to a place where we can do this full time. So we, we, we need your help. You know, it's, you're the ones that make it happen and make it a reality. So if you're enjoying it, consider it, go visit us on Patreon. Um, also, we are, um, yeah, don't forget that we're doing a new series in April on West Blaze Music Channel. So please go go check out that channel. Uh, Sunday night, I'm going to be picking up part um, 11 of uh, my Investigating Babylon series on Kingdom Cast. So if you haven't subscribed to Kingdom Cast, that's my secondary channel. Go subscribe to that. And then also on Monday night, we'll be doing a special calendar episode with uh, My House Ministry. So be sure to check that out as well, guys. Um, I think I saw a question in the chat earlier. I'm going to go try to find it. Because if you ask a chat, if you ask a question much, much earlier, my chat doesn't refresh all the way to the beginning of the broadcast. We're at like an hour and 10 minutes right now. So just copy paste it and ask it again. And so I can see it in the, the, the newer chat. Um, looks like Julie Lockett is asking... When God created Jesus in his eternal form, living water, question mark, is this some kind of creation like silver surfer or gods of light shines through seven rays of light and spirits? Your thoughts? Um, no, no. Well, I mean, I, I think, you know, I'm not too buffed up on the silver surfer comic books, but from what I know about the silver surfer, that's, this would be much better than silver surfer. Um, the idea of the promise of the covenant to, that Jesus received his eternal body at his resurrection. I'll start there. Okay. And that eternal body will, will never die. It's uh it's made immortal. Um, and he has the, the Torah, the law of God written on his heart. Uh, he'll do it perpetually, instinctually, never fail to do it. 
And that body is promised that an immortal body that he received when he was resurrected is the same type of body that the angels already have, which is called an immortal body, which in first Corinthians 15, it's where Paul refers to as an incorruptible body. So it's also referenced in the Apocalypse of Baruch. Uh, I think it's chapter um, 51 verses eight through 11 talking about when we, at that time, when we attain to the heights of the new, of the new Jerusalem that, you know, that we're going to be receiving coming down out of heaven. Um, we get these bodies like the angels, so they're they're very neat. And this is what Jesus promises in Luke twenty thirty six as well that we at the resurrection we made like the angels. So it's um, you know interesting comparison with the Silver Surfer comic book, but in my opinion, it's a much better body than a Silver Surfer because he was even though he's yeah it's just it's a different it's a body made of water and and spirit of God and light. It's totally different um, than the bodies that we currently have made of of the breath of God and, and the dirt of the earth. So. Hopefully that's a decent answer for you. Okay, guys. Go down to the uh, Timothy Bates. That's where we're going to talk about a Monday night. So we're talking about Monday night. Um, yeah, I'm just gonna. I'm not gonna. <laughs> I'll leave that to Monday night. We'll, we'll be taking questions then too. So, join us on Monday. We'll we'll talk about the calendars, okay, and their history. Uh, that is the assumption. It doesn't say it. Um, so, Carla's question is: Since Abraham put Hagar away, did he have to give her a written letter of divorce? Well, that's the assumption. Is that uh, if he's going to actually put her away? Um, then he would have to, you know, she wants to get remarried. He's going to have to give her a written letter of divorce uh, for doing that. So, yeah, that's, I would say he did, even though I don't, I don't remember reading any text in Genesis or Jubilees where it physically says he did it, but yes, that would have been the process that he would have had to done that to. Okay. Let me see here. Uh, Robert Douglas, I don't know if you're talking to me. Um, I'm guessing you are. But um, as always, guys, if you want to ask a question in the chat, be sure to put it in all capitalization so I know that you're asking me. But um, I, I honestly, I want to answer your question, but I don't quite understand it. Um, how come the Old Testament says people should turn from their wicked ways and live before the human sacrifice? I'm not, I'm not sure what you mean about human sacrifice. Yahweh doesn't accept human sacrifice on his altar and... So, yeah, I'm not exactly sure how you're tying repentance into that. So, yeah, we're welcome to reword your question. I'll be glad to address it. Uh, Big Red G, you must have gotten here late to the to the show, brother. We talked about this in the beginning of the show. Yes, um, I actually, you know, go to Keenum Cast. You should see an announcement for Sunday night. I'm going to be picking that episode up again. So uh, be sure you subscribe to, to Keenum Cast to get those notifications. And... Crispine Tot, Crispine Tot. I'm sorry, I can't. Crispine Tot. Uh, Leviticus 19.27 in context. All right, guys, I'm pretty sure I know what the source is, but let's put it on screen for everyone to look at because we get this question often and it's just it just happens all the time. All right. Leviticus 19.27.
Okay, let's put this on screen. It is what so many people, unfortunately, misunderstand about the Torah. So they look at me and they're like, Sean, wait, did he just mention that word Torah? And he doesn't have a beard? How dare he? For Leviticus 19.27, you shall not round the corners of your heads, neither shall you mar the corners of your beard. You guys, this is not talking about shaving. This is a specific practice that was being done amongst the nations outside of Israel, amongst the pagan nations, that they did in honor to one of their Canaanite gods called Oratol. Um, it's, uh, it's literally a, it's in conjunction with the very next verse, which is cutting of the flesh, and doing, which is what we see the priest of Baal doing in Leviticus and uh, 1 Kings 18 and 19. So the whole concept was Leviticus chapters 18, 19, and 20 is a long list of practices of like that the nations around around in the in the land of Canaan, they were doing these practices. And this is why Yahweh systematically going through all these behaviors and saying, do not do these. These are the nations that the around you practice. This is their behaviors. Do not do these behaviors, right? Because he's trying to teach them the Torah. So this is one of them that's being listed off here in the bulk of those three chapters. Leviticus 19 is do not round the corners of your heads. What does that mean? I think people, oh, do you want to cut my hair? What does that mean? No, it's, it's a specific haircut that they were doing, from my understanding, as well as the corners of their beards, a specific style that they were doing to show their allegiance to a specific God. Just like a what we read tonight in Jubilees 15, 27 through 30, just like we see in, in uh, Genesis 17, as far as the covenant of circumcision, that's a specific outward sign to show that you're in covenant with Yahweh, the creator. Well, the pagan, the pagan gods had their own versions of an outward sign that they would do to show that they had allegiance to their, their, you know, false God that they worshiped. So Yahweh being the one true God, he's asked us for a few things, an outward sign. One of them on the body is circumcision. Um, that does not grow back like your hair or your beard would, but this was a practice of, of pagan, uh, pagan allegiance to a pagan God, basically. So this is not, there's no command in the scriptures that says you have to grow a beard. There's a millions, actually almost a billion people that can't grow a beard on this planet. And then there's no specific instruction in scripture that says you cannot shave your beard or your hair or anything like that. So guys, yeah, this is, this is a common thing that a lot of Torah teachers take wildly out of context. So hopefully that's a decent answer for you, brother. All right. Sean M is asking, did you ever read that Hagar was renamed Keturah during her days back in Egypt? Uh, yeah, he, I, I've not read that. Um, I've never seen a verse that would imply that. So I would personally disagree that that's the case. So I don't think that the, I, d I don't see any evidence for that, but if you've got a scripture somewhere, um, you're welcome to do that. If it's, if it's uh legitimate, I'll take a look, but it's an interesting question. All right, guys. Uh, David S.C., a concubine is a wife. Yeah, we, we actually talked about this um, on Kingdom Portions, my wife and I, like a, a year and a half ago. We were going through Genesis, and we were actually trying to show all the places where a concubine is mentioned, and it's like synonymous with a wife. So it's definitely, it seems to be a term, even though if you try to look the term up in the concordance, it doesn't really give you a definition, but it seems to be a term that is associated definitely for a wife, but it was a, it would not be the first wife. It would be a second wife or a third wife. Any wife beyond the first one 
with with in some places she's called a concubine, other places she's called a wife, but essentially it's seems to be like a, a designator to let you know she's not the first wife. She is a wife. So yeah, I hope that's a decent answer for you. All right. Uh, Chilo Gonzalez is asking, didn't Hagar have other sons after Ishmael? So she must have had a real divorce. Uh, well, that's like I said, that's that's what is would be assumed since you know Torah is being followed by Abraham everywhere in his life. In fact, in the book of Jubilees, he's he's validated, I think it's chapter chapter 17 or 19. He's actually um commended by the father for like these. Let me go find it real quick. Let me go find it real quick. Put it on screen for us to look at together. Okay, here it is, guys. So, so it basically talks about the death of Sarah in these verses up here. This is in chapter 19 of Jubilees. And then he's, how he patiently dealt with the Hittites to, to buy a burial place for Sarah, even though he knew the land was given to him in the promise of the covenant. He didn't say anything. Um, he just went ahead and paid the price for it anyway. But it basically says here that this is the 10th trial wherewith Abraham was tried. He was found faithful, patient in spirit. And he said on the single word regarding the room of the land, how he, how that God had said that he would give it to him and to his seat after him. And he begged a place there to bury his dead for he was found faithful and was recorded on the heavenly tablets as a friend of God. So this is, um, so yeah, I think it's, that's why it's broken up. This is 19. It's probably an 18. Or I'm wrong. It's in, it is in 17. Yeah. So here it is. Um, little list here of all these different ways that Abraham was tried in his life, but he was found faithful, which means he kept doing Torah in spite of all these tests and trials. Verse 17 of chapter 17 of Jubilees, and I'll make it bigger so people can see it. It says, And the Lord knew that Abraham was faithful in all his afflictions, for he had tried him through his country and with famine, and tried him with the wealth of kings, and again through his wife when she was torn from him. That was when Abimelech took her. And then with circumcision, and they had tried him through Ishmael and Hagar, specifically mentioning this, this idea here with Ishmael and Hagar. That was a trial for him, and his maid, his, which was his maidservant, and where he sent them away. And in everything wherein he had tried them, he was found faithful, and his soul was not impatient. He was not slow to act, for he was a faithful, for he was faithful, and he was a lover of the Lord. So this is, you know, huge, huge uh, commendation for, for Abraham here. Anyway, that's a little bit more than you're asking, but sometimes I'm too thorough. All right, guys, I don't see any other questions. Oh, wait. Um, Left Wing Safardi is asking, I'm new here. Do you recommend any videos where I can become familiar with your beliefs? Sure. First, it's I would go to my playlist here on YouTube and go to New Subscribers Playlist. There's about four or five videos in there, and I break down the gospel of the kingdom of God and the first resurrection as the first four of those videos. And I just go through. It gives you a, you know, kind of a cliff notes, if you will, of scripture and uh, both New and Old Testament, and I and I break down the message that Yeshua, the, the Messiah, preached, the gospel of the kingdom of God, and specifically pertaining to the first resurrection, because for believers, that's extremely important for all of us to know as points of context. And so that would be where I would start first, is a new subscribers playlist, and hopefully it blesses you, brother.
Uh, Big Reggie, you know, unfortunately, um, there's a lot of Muslim teachings that are wildly different from scripture. I mean, they even think that Jesus wasn't truly killed, that they put an imposter up there on the cross instead of Jesus. So, um, yeah, there's there's a whole bunch of uh, um, legends uh, from Islam that they teach and pass around that are not anywhere consistent with scripture. So they, again, if it's <laughs> if it's a false religion, that's par for the course. They don't want scripture to be true. So they're going to pass around false information. All right, guys, I appreciate everybody. I'm going to turn it off for tonight. Um, this has been a lot of fun. And um, yeah, let me know in the comments uh, because, you know, I've been kicking the idea around. This is actually why I started the channel from like a, a conversation with my wife. Of She was saying like, we keep running these same questions over and over. Same types of questions. And I was like, yeah, I know. I, I deal with it all the time. It's the questions about the, the covenants, about the first resurrection. People don't understand the gospel of the kingdom. People don't understand the biblical creation model, uh, how creation is described in scripture. And so how all that works together with your promised resurrection into the new Jerusalem. And, you know, these, these huge component pieces that go into it, and they, get, they mix in Trinitarian ideals and then this Trinitarian oneness doctrine among certain Torah crowds. And so they didn't even understand the differentiation between the son and the father and the ideas of the garden and how that's different from the new Jerusalem. But literally it, the Garden of Eden becomes the New Jerusalem when it comes back and how, you know, all these different things in our context tree. And I was like, well, you know, that's where she and I came together and we created the context tree with the little branches and everything. And that's all right. I was like, well, I'll start making a channel and then we'll we'll have all the videos we'll have to do with these topics. And that way we can help people understand the overarching contexts, plural, the thematic themes of context layered all throughout the Bible that the Bible just repeats over and over and over that if people understood these ideas, then they would ask a lot less questions. They would, they would be able to read the Bible uh, and, and gain comprehension quickly. Right. So our, our tagline con context creates comprehension. That was my goal is like, how can I help people learn the Bible better even on their own when, when they can't ask me a question online. So that's why we tried to do that. And, and then soon after we started the channel, I was like, man, I, I should just go through the Bible and just start like color coding and highlighting all the different passages according to the context tree. And then people could see it better. I wouldn't have to make as many videos <laughs> so they could, they could see it easier and they could read it on their own. I was like, yeah, but I, uh, I, I do, I do, I, how do I do that? You know? So I think I figured out a way that I've been, you know, kind of using these ideas, um, uh, I, this is, this is the evolution, if you will, don't take that word the wrong way, but this is the, this is where this idea has grown into in my practical daily practice. As far as when I'm preparing to talk about scripture and break it down to the viewing audience, how do I do that? How do I make it clear and concise? What, what points do I decide to address that I think are sticking points in a, in a particular passage that people are always misunderstanding either the definition of the word or the context of how that word's been used in the passage. So this is how I approach these things. And I, you know, start putting it on paper and it turns into this little thing I showed you tonight, the context study guide companion. So if that's something that you want me to do and you think that you would want one of them, you got to let me know. Um, if, if you guys think what, you know, this is obviously to people that have been watching me for a while and following our channel and that support us. If you guys, cause obviously if you're in Patreon, you're going to get, if you're, if you've been supporting us, whether through any means to Patreon, any of that, if you guys have been supporting us, I definitely help make sure you guys got one first. Um, but it's like, it just, it just would take time. I mean, it would take, it would take quite a bit of time, um, six to nine months minimum uh, to get, to go through the whole Bible. I would also want to include um, Jubilee's Ninoch as well. And as far as including those in 
as I, as you saw me you already, I already do what Jubilees. I how, that's how I break down Jubilees. So, um, I would do that for the fullness of Jubilees and Enoch and, and all the books in the 66 canon and probably, probably a couple of others like Esdras and, and Baruch and the Maccabees and things like that. So yeah, just let me know if you're interested in that, put it in the comments again, guys, make sure to comment this video, give it a thumbs up. If you liked it, share it with people on social media, if you thought it blessed you, uh, really appreciate you. And, uh, we hope to see you guys here on Sunday, uh, Sunday night. All right. Or go see you on Kingdom Cast, my other channel on Sunday night.